Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for joining us for today's podcast from Dublin First Baptist Church in Dublin, North Carolina. We hope you'll be encouraged today as you listen to our message. For more information, please visit our website at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist as we listen to the preaching of God's Word. Turn with me back to Revelation chapter 3, where we were reading just a little bit ago. And we're going to finish up um, this section of Scripture. In Revelation 1 chapter chapter 1 verse 19, God gives us kind of an outline for this book. Uh, He talks about the things which have been. Well, that's chapter 1. And then he says, uh, write down the things which are. And that's chapters 2 and 3. And we're still in that today here in 2024. And then um, beginning in a few weeks, um, we're going to get into chapter 4. Uh, Pastor Daniel is going to preach next week while I'm gone. But in a couple weeks, we'll get into chapter 4. And from chapter 4 to chapter 22, that's the things which shall be. Stuff that shall be yet, even if for you and I. And so we're looking this morning at, at Jesus' final message to the churches. His message to the church in Laodicea. I don't know about you. I hope this is the case. But in studying these letters from Jesus to these specific first century churches, I've been convicted just about every week. Uh, when Jesus tells them about things that they need to correct, I've not failed to find something in my life that... Uh, I need to submit to him to bring my life into alignment with. I've also been encouraged, I hope you have too, when Jesus has reminded these churches of who he is for them, I've been reminded of who he is for me. And when Jesus encourages them to overcome, and he reminds them of the promised rewards for those who keep on trusting uh, and keep on being faithful to him, well, it's been encouraging to me. It's like I've been hearing the voice of Jesus saying, Jason, keep on, keep going. It'll be worth it all in eternity one day. And then last week, we studied Jesus' message to the church in Philadelphia. And these last two churches, Philadelphia and Laodicea, they're kind of unique. Philadelphia, Jesus had nothing but compliments for them. No criticism whatsoever. It's just the opposite here this morning in verses 14 to 22, where he addresses the church in Laodicea. No commendation here. No compliments for this church. Uh, And the situation is serious here. And in love and in great grace... Jesus points out, he identifies the serious problems this church has, then he points them how to correct us that your Holy Spirit. passage earlier before we study it verse by verse. Let's go to the Lord in prayer once more. Father, uh, we ask that your Holy Spirit, the one we sang about, the one we invited to uh, here to be present and make his presence known to us. I pray that he would reveal the truth of these verses to us. We're so thankful for your word. Uh, each one of us who's been saved, we were saved by your life-given, life-transforming word. And that transformation occurs throughout our lives as followers of Jesus Christ. Use it this morning morning to conform us into the image of Christ. That's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so let's look at the communication. Jesus always begins these letters by identifying himself, who he is for Christians, and he chooses to identify himself in verse 14 this way. He says, these things saith the amen. And so what this church would read, everything uh, that they're going to read that that follows in this letter that uh, Jesus has John write and send to this church, everything that we're going to study together this morning, it's from Jesus Christ. 
uh, and he is the amen of God. That's what Jesus is saying there. Well, what does that mean? What is Jesus trying to communicate here about who he is for us? Well, uh, we say amen a lot in church, don't we? Probably said it a few times this morning after the choir sang or after Wanda sang for us or after we hear something. Um, it's a term of agreement. Uh, literally, it means so be it. Or it means, uh, yeah, I believe that. Or yes, I agree with that. And Jesus is the amen of God. That's what God had the Apostle Paul tell us. 2 Corinthians 1.20, uh, God says this, For all of the promises of God to us in Jesus Christ, they're yes. And they are in him. They're in Jesus. They are amen to the glory of God. That's what 2 Corinthians 1.20 says. So do you realize why we close our prayers with amen, with, with in Jesus' name, amen? It's not just so, okay, everybody, you can open your eyes and dig in and if you're at the dinner table or, or it's time to move on to the next thing. No, we're saying at the end of our prayers, God, I am claiming your promise to me. I, I believe you're going to come through and Jesus is the answer. He's the evidence of everything I need. He's the so be it. He's the amen of God to us. Now next, Jesus communicates this about himself. I'm the faithful and true witness. He says there in 14. And Jesus is true and faithful. And so whatever Jesus says, these red letters here, we can count as being true and being faithful. Um, what he's about to communicate now, in verses 15 to 22, what he, what he said to the previous six churches, uh, everything that we've been studying together, whatever his word speaks over your life or speaks into your life, you can count on it as being true and being faithful. And then finally, there's one more thing that Jesus wants these Christians to remember uh, about who he is. He says, I'm the beginning of the creation of God. Now, that's the King James Version. I love it. It uses the word beginning. Most modern versions use some other word like ruler, the ruler of God's creation. And, and that's because the Greek word that's translated here in the King James is beginning. It, it's arche, arche. Uh, it means a beginning, but it means that in the, first, in the sense of, of being first uh, or being primary. Um, that's where we get the word archangel, the, the first, the top angel, the primary one. And Jesus tells us here, he's the beginning, he's the first, or he's a primary agent, he's the source of God's creation, he's the ruler of God's creation, and he is. That's what God's word tells us, he's the creator. In John chapter 1, in the beginning was a word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. All things were made by him, Jesus Christ. And without him was nothing made that was made. In Colossians chapter 1, it says that Jesus created everything. In Hebrews chapter 1, it says the same thing. And, and Jesus is the beginning of the creation of God in the new creation. And that what God's word tells us that because of Christ, we who have placed our faith in him for salvation, we are now new creatures. We're new creations. And one day Jesus will usher in a new heavens and a new earth, a new creation. We're going to learn about that later on in the book of Revelation. So there's the communication. What Jesus wants them, what he wants us here this morning to know about who he is for us. He's God's amen to us. Jesus is the true and faithful witness, and he's the ruler of God's creation. All of that, all of that is going to give more credence, more credibility to what Jesus is about to say in verses 15 and 16, where we find the criticism. Verse 15 starts out with a now familiar phrase. Jesus says, I know that works. But the stinging criticism about their serious condition comes immediately after. I know that thou art neither cold nor hot. 
And Jesus says, I would. I mean, uh, I wish that you were cold or hot. One of the two. Uh, And so then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew you out of my mouth. And I think we can all understand what Jesus is saying here. But it it, it might help us grab a hold of his intent and and even better understand it. Why Jesus used these fairly harsh descriptions uh, to those in the church in the city of Laodicea here. Um, See, just southeast of the church of Laodicea, well, it was Colossae. They had a church, the Colossians. Uh, and in that area, there was these beautiful, uh, cool springs, rivers fed by these cool springs. And then just north of the, about six miles north of uh, Laodicea was a city called Hierapolis. It was a city known for its healing hot springs. Uh, but Laodicea hadn't either. They didn't have either. Uh, they had an aqueduct that would carry some of that hot spring water down, uh, down to the city of Laodicea. Uh, from Hierapolis, but by the time it, it reached Laodicea, it was tepid, it was lukewarm, it was disgusting. And that's Jesus' point. He's disgusted with this church. When he says, I, I, when he says, I wish you were cold or hot, there's a couple of things he could be meaning there. And, and neither one of them uh, are so different that they don't, that they carry away the intent and you have to pick one. I mean, he could, and I believe Jesus might be saying, I wish you were cool and refreshing, like those springs down there in Colossae. And if not, I wish you were warm and healing, but you're neither. You're really of no use whatsoever, and you're disgusting. But Jesus also may be telling, look, if you're not hot for me, Christian, if you're not going to be on fire, for Jesus Christ, if you're not going to be sold out, all in for Jesus, well, I just as soon as you be cold toward me. Do you understand that God can call and rescue those who have a cold heart toward him? Does it all the time. Look at the life of the apostle Paul. Can't get much colder than that. Persecuting Jesus, persecuting the church. And God went into that man's life, didn't he? On that road to Damascus, he knocked him off his pride and his arrogance when he knocked him off that horse to the ground. And he submitted his life uh, to Jesus. Uh, sometimes a coldness to Christ. It can be the very thing that the Lord uses to draw people to trust in Jesus as Savior. But it's the lukewarm. It's those who aren't sure. If they want to be uh, on God's side. And they want to be living for eternity. Or, or whether they prefer being in the world side. Loving their sin. Loving this present world too much to let it go. It's a lukewarm. That God's got a tough time doing a whole lot of anything with. And it's them that he plainly says here that he finds disgusting. I will spew you out of my mouth. That this lukewarmness, it's a picture of indifference to the things of the Lord. An attempt to compromise with the things of this world. It's a professing Christian who's trying to, to just play the middle. One who's not sure if he, uh, you know, he's like, well I, well, I don't want the destiny of the unsaved. I know where that is. I don't want to spend eternity in hell uh, apart from the Lord. Uh, I don't want to miss out on heaven then and there, but they don't love him enough to give him all of themselves here and now just yet. That's so lukewarm. They got one foot in the world. They got one foot in the church. Now, let me tell you, I might not have to. Uh, that is the most miserable experience any human being can ever have, being that way. Uh, you'd be happier, at least temporary, uh, temporarily by the world standard, uh, if you just go to the world. Than trying to be both. When you try to be both, you end up being nothing. And the lukewarm, they got too much of the world to, to be happy in Jesus Christ. Well, they got too much of Jesus to be happy being in the world. Now understand, these are church-going people. And he's writing a letter to the church of Laodicea. 
to see you. But it's a church just like any that you will come across that, that as part of it, it's got safe people in it. It's got unsafe people in it. It's got wheat and it's got weeds. It's got sheep and it's got goats that are a part of it. And here Jesus is speaking primarily to those who, who participate in just really empty religion. I mean, what a curse that is. Empty religion. Satan knows that he's got a person when that's all they have. The person who's caught up in empty religion, I think that they might be the hardest to reach for Christ. Uh, you can't get someone saved who doesn't know that they're lost, who thinks they're uh, all good. A person who's got just enough Jesus to think that they have enough Jesus. You ever have enough Jesus? No. The old-time evangelist Vance Havner, he said, the cause of Christ has been hurt more by Sunday morning bench warmers, he's lukewarm, who pretend to love Jesus, who call him Lord but don't do what he says, than by all the publicans, all the sinners, all those who hate the Lord put together. And the sad thing is they don't even know that that was the case until this message came from Jesus Christ. Would you look at verse 17? I mean, here's the opinion of those who belong to this church. We're rich. <laughs> We're increased with goods. We don't need anything. We, we have need of nothing. And Jesus lovingly, mercifully tells them, no. No, you're wretched. You're miserable. You're poor and you're blind and you're naked. And these had to be stinging and shocking critiques. See, Laodicea was a wealthy city. I mean, where it was, it was like in the intersection of the main trade route, north and south, east and west, for, that, for all of Asia Minor, um, what's modern day Turkey. It was a banking center. It was a textile center. They, they grew, they had big sheep branches with, with sheep with black wool, and they'd grow that wool and harvest it, and they'd have uh, textile mills there where, they, where they'd uh, make uh, woolen fabric, black woolen fabric. And, and it, was, it was not just that. It was a, a medical center. I mean, people from all over the world would come here to Laodicea because they had this eye salve that would help people who had blindness or other eye afflictions. They've come here for healing and Jesus tells them, you think you've got it all together, but you're wretched and you're miserable and you're poor and blind and naked. And man, that's the worst kind of bad, isn't it? When you don't know that you're bad off, when you think you're all good and the amen of God, the faithful and true witness, Jesus Christ, he's loving enough here to diagnose them and to give them a remedy. What is it? Verse 18, I counsel thee to buy of me gold, tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint your eyes with eyesalve, that thou mayest see. Well, now how do you buy these things that Jesus has mentioned here? Of course, it's not literally gold, or literally a white outfit for them to wear now instead of that black woolen clothes they would wear. It's not literally eye salve uh, for their physical eyes or physical blindness. Jesus is saying here, turn in faith to me. Uh, for those who aren't born again, who haven't ever been saved, who've only been, been dipping a toe into church maybe for years, maybe for decades, he's saying repent and believe. Uh, for those Christians that are a part of this church that are truly saved, but maybe they've stopped swimming upstream Maybe you've been carried with the, uh, the current of this world and, and you've stopped going against the flow. Jesus says here, repent. Turn around. Turn in faith to me. Th that's how you buy these things. You understand that God's word tells us the currency of salvation, the currency of grace. It's faith. 
Isaiah chapter 55, 1 says this. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. You who have no money, come buy and eat. Does that make a lick of sense? You don't have any money, come and buy. Is you don't need money. You need faith. Faith is a currency of salvation. Faith is a currency of grace. How am I supposed to do that? How do I buy without money? Verse 2 says, why do you spend money on what's not bread? And your labor on what doesn't satisfy it. Here, here's faith described. Verses 6 and 7, Isaiah 55. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord. Our God will have mercy. He's a God who abundantly pardons. And the currency of salvation is faith. And you, every one of us, every one of the members of this church in Laodicea, they have that available to them right now. Repent and believe. That's the first command. Let's get into the command in the, in the rest of these verses. Verses 18 uh, is the beginning of Christ's command. Repent and believe. Uh, what they needed to do, what this church needed to do to correct what he's criticizing, they needed to recognize the reality of, the, of their situation, how serious it was, how sinful it was, and turn in faith to Jesus. Jesus tells them in verse 19, I love you. That's why I rebuke and chasten you. He says elsewhere in Scripture in Hebrews, that, that's why I discipline my children. I do it out of love. You know, if Jesus didn't love them, if he didn't love those who are lukewarm, maybe if there's one here this morning, and you're like, yeah, if I had to be honest, that, that's where I've been in my relationship with Christ. If Jesus didn't tell you that this morning in his word uh, because he loved you, he just, he just let you go. Continue on in your lukewarmness. No, he's asking them to turn here. And what's the command of Christ to these ones who were lukewarm or apathetic, who were just playing church at the end of verse 19. He says, be zealous and repent. Now, repent has been the command in each one of these letters. Jesus said it's time to have that change of mind, that change of heart that leads to a change in your behavior. But this time he includes one additional thing. He says, be zealous and repent. And that is a complete, the <laughs> complete opposite of what they have been doing. You want to talk about the complete opposite of being lukewarm? It's being zealous. It's talking about being passionate uh, for Jesus Christ. Uh, in the Greek, zealous, it's from the same root word as hot. Back up in verse 15 where he says, you're, you're neither cold nor hot. And I wish you were cold or hot. It means boiling. That's what hot means there. And right here, zealous from the same root word. He says, I want you boiling, Christian. I, I want you to be on fire for me, finally. Look, our time here is short. We're about to head in to chapter 4 to chapter 22. The things which shall be. I don't know when they shall be. They, sh they might shall be uh, later this afternoon. <laughs> they could shall be. That could start later this week. But these things shall be. And, and our time here is short. There's no time to waste anymore. It's time for Christians to be on fire for Christ, to be zealous. And you might say, well, what do people think of me? I mean, isn't that a little much? Being one of those kinds of Christians, I don't know. I see people zealous all the time. They're zealous about their keto diet. They're zealous about CrossFit. They're zealous about their favorite sports team. How about being zealous for the King of Kings and Lord of Lords? Amen? Hey, how about being zealous for the one that we sang about it this morning, wanted it. He left heaven's glory to come here and be crucified for my sins. How about being zealous for the one who saved you and gave you eternal life? And if you will, there's this reward. Verse 20, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I'll come into him and I'll sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne. Even as I also overcame and I'm set down with my father in his throne. He has an ear to hear. Let him hear what the spirit saith unto the churches. Wow, what a picture, especially in verse 20. 
You see, Jesus Christ is outside the church. It's disturbing, isn't it? Because, <laughs> I mean, what are we doing here if that's the case? He's outside of the church. And Jesus says, look, I'm outside. And I want in. I want to come in. I want to fellowship with you. He gives the, the portrait of having a meal. In that culture, the most intimate thing you could do is like making you family. And he wants to stay there. He wants to have a relationship with us. He wants us to know uh, the joy of having a, an actual, genuine, real relationship with the almighty sovereign of the universe that only comes through faith in Christ. He wants us to have the peace of knowing we have a place in heaven reserved for us, that our name is in that book of life that we talked about a week or two ago. And that comes through faith in Christ. And Jesus says, will you let me in? This morning he's saying, will you let me in? He's knocking. He said, you know how he knocked? He said, wretched, miserable, poor, blind, naked. Over and over. And he's saying, turn to me. And you can have the eternal riches of heaven. Turn in faith to me and I'll I'll clothe you with my righteousness. So that when God looks at you, he don't see your sin no more. Because Jesus took that on the cross. He looks at you and he sees the perfect righteousness of Christ. Turn in faith to me and I'll heal permanently, forever. I'll heal your spiritual blindness. He's knocking this morning. Jesus has been knocking for seven weeks now. In these letters to the churches. He's saying, repent. Will you let me in, finally, Christian? Have you answered? Or have you left them outside? Will you, will you repent of your pride and your self-sufficiency? Because that's really the problem. You want to know where lukewarmness comes from? It comes from pride. It, it's the life that says, you know what? Um, I mean, I know I need to be in God's word, but I know this is how I came to Christ as Savior, but um, I, don't, I don't have time. Life is too busy. That's pride. And that'll lead to being lukewarm. Or, or um, you know, church... Unless I got something better to do. That's the kind of pride that says, you know, I don't need you, Lord. No, I I have need of nothing. (laughs) I'm rich. (laughs) It's that kind of pride. Will you repent of that this morning? Any lukewarmness, any cowardice when it comes to Christ, any apathy, and maybe neutrality of trying to be a friend of God, at the same time being a friend of the world. Jesus finds that nauseating. I guess what, what he's saying here really is, will you pick a side? That's his message to the lukewarm. Will you pick a side? And I hear Jesus here. I hear the echo of Elijah on Mount Carmel in 2 Kings 18 when he goes to Israel. And he says, look, if Baal is the Lord, well, then serve him. And Jesus is saying here, if the world is your Lord, well, then serve the world. But if God be your Lord, if Jesus be your Lord, how long are you going to halt between two opinions? Pick one, Christian. That's the knocking that Jesus has given us this morning. And it's Christ's invitation, his command to those who are his this morning here at Dublin First Baptist. Be zealous and repent. Have a passionate turn into Christ. And look, I pray that you either give up any empty religion or just a profession of faith or you decide this morning that I'm going to be true to it. I'm going to be true to what I profess to believe. I'm going to have the integrity to at least pick one. Of course, I hope this morning you'll take your stand and you'll make your choice for Christ. I pray that in response to God's word, that, that we have a sanctuary here filled with followers of Jesus Christ who will leave any lukewarmness right now and they'll commit to being on fire for him who's worthy. Isn't he worthy? Amen. Tommy,